A man runs in, into his doctor at, at the local grocery shop and he says, six weeks ago when I was in your surgery, you told me to go straight home to bed and stay there until you, until you came to visit me. You never arrived. I didn't, said the doctor. Well, what are you doing out of bed then? Uh, I, I thought we'd sort of start out today with a little bit of light-hearted humour because today's topic is, well, it's pretty serious business. Um, healing. And it can touch... It does touch all our lives. Okay, we're talking about healing and in particular we're talking about miraculous physical healing. We're not going to be talking about the normal bodily process of healing, which is a miracle in itself, the way that God has designed our bodies um, so that we are pretty much self-repairing. Nor are we going to be confusing the gift of healing with the physical skill of medicine and nursing. Today we're going to be talking about miraculous physical healing, stuff which just cannot be explained. It was miraculous physical healing that Jesus did when he made the blind to see and the lame to walk. And as we read this book of Acts that we've been working our way through, we cannot help but notice that the same sorts of miracles that Jesus did continued to happen, not only through the apostles but also through ordinary disciples of Jesus in the early church. And perhaps that shouldn't come as a real great surprise to us. After all, Jesus did say that those who believe in him would be able to do the works that he was doing. In fact, he went on to say that they would even be able to do greater works than what he was doing. So there's no doubt about it. Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. The apostles healed the sick and raised the dead. Ordinary disciples of Jesus in the early church healed the sick and performed miracles in his name. I can't think of any um, people who weren't apostles actually raising the dead. Maybe it happened and I haven't seen it. I can't remember it. But what about today? Are disciples of Jesus Christ still given the gift of healing today? Some Bible teachers will say absolutely, definitely yes. Some Bible teachers will say absolutely, definitely no. So which is it? Uh, and why the difference of opinion? And, and if the answer is yes, then in what form does this healing actually take? Well, I'm not going to keep you guessing where I'm at on it. I'm going to lay my cards down on the table right now and I suspect most of you probably know what I'm going to say. Yes, people are still healed in the name of Jesus today. Uh, yes, disciples of Jesus are still given the Holy Spirit gift of healing. And yes, I believe that even that occasionally people are even raised from the dead in the name of Jesus today. Now I say this because the primary source of my theology, the primary source of what I believe about God comes from the Bible. And I can say this in faith because I find absolutely zero evidence in the Bible that the spiritual gifts of healing and miracles would only be around for a little while and then disappear. And the second reason I believe what I believe is because of the evidence of the miracles themselves. Miraculous healings may not be as common or as often or as available on demand as some would have us believe, but I have seen enough miraculous healing in my few years on this earth to know that God is still active in the world in this way today. So that's where I'm at and I'm going to share a bit more on that shortly. But also at the outset... I'm also going to say not all people are healed today. 
just as not all people were healed in the early church. And we'll talk about that some more later too. Okay, so where does one begin? And this is actually dangerous ground for a preacher to to tread on sometimes because people's opinions are so varied, uh, not only across different denominations but within the one church and within the one local congregation, there can be an enormous difference of opinion over healing in the name of Jesus. And if a preacher wants to stay popular with everyone in his congregation, well, he's just not going to bring this topic up. Um, But, as you know, I just address stuff as it comes up in the Bible as we work our way through it. And so here we are today. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you a bit of a cross-section representing some of the major views on healing today. Uh, We'll have a bit of a look at where these views come from and what the Bible has to say about them. And then I'm going to share more about what I believe the Bible teaches today. The first view that we may come up against is what's called the cessationist view. Cessationists, it's a big word, um, but they believe that out of all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, four of them, which they called the sign gifts, were temporary and they have now ceased, hence the names. The names. Cessationists, they believe that some of the gifts have ceased. So, they say the gift of miracles, the gift of healings, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues and some would also throw into that list the gift of prophecy and they say that these gifts were given for a very specific purpose to give credence to the apostles' teachings, to to give the apostles an authority so that they would be listened to. So the apostles preached the gospel of Christ. They preached the forgiveness of sins in his name and then they backed it up with these signs and wonders and so that people would actually believe them. And the cessationists would say that these gifts have now ceased. They're only around until the New Testament had been written down by the apostles and after that they weren't needed anymore and so they disappeared. So, the cessationist view is held by the brethrens. Um, It's held by some Presbyterians. I know we've got some Presbyterians with us today. Um, But it's held by some Presbyterians, but not all. It's held by some Baptists, but not all. And it's held by some other evangelical churches, especially those who tend to what's known as a dispensational theology. Now, I'm not going to explain dispensational theology. That's a whole different topic in itself. But basically it just says that, that God, the history of God dealing with his people is divided into these different time periods which they call dispensations and, and things change as it goes on. Now, I'm not a believer of, of dispensational theology but if you want to know more about it, you'll find it on the internet, um, not in the Bible. While the cessationist view says that there is no gift of healing anymore, most of them will agree that God is still sovereign and if God chooses to, he can heal anybody that he likes. All right? So they do believe that God can and does still heal people because God is powerful and God can do that. Uh, but that we should have no expectation that he will or that he's even likely to. And so the cessationists would point people more, more towards a spiritual healing and they would point to the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection body that we will receive when he comes and there's the healing. 
Now this is absolutely true. Every sickness, every disease is going to be dealt with and our resurrection body is going to be totally free of that. There will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease. But the cessationists limit it mainly to that time. One of the key Bible passages that they claim as evidence for this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which most people who will say, oh, that's the passage on love, but it's not the passage on love, it's actually the passage on spiritual gifts and, and it talks about love and using the spiritual gifts with love. And in it, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8, it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so they claim that this is referring to when the New Testament was written. They claim that the New Testament was written down and when that had happened, the perfect had finally arrived. And so these temporary gifts that were filling in until that time weren't needed anymore and they've now passed away. Now the problem that I find is that passage of scripture to me is very clearly not talking about the writing of the New Testament, it's talking about the return of Jesus. Um, Because if you read on it says, for now we see as in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. It's very clearly talking about when Jesus returns, when we actually get to see him face to face, when all of the mysteries of God are going to be revealed to us. Now, Paul, who actually wrote that letter to the Corinthians, he's an apostle, right? So here we have an apostle saying, now I know in part, then I'll know more fully. Now I see dimly, then I'm going to see him face to face. Now, if an apostle is looking forward to this future time so that he can know God better, so that he can understand the mysteries of God more fully, how can he be possibly be talking about the New Testament? Because here he is, he's actually writing the New Testament. And he's saying, I look forward to when the perfect comes because then I'll know God better. Well, he's, if it's referring to the New Testament... He must already know all of this because he's writing it down in the New Testament. To say that the spiritual gifts have passed away because they were deficient but now the Bible is perfect and in it we can see God face to face, well, there's a bit of a problem here. Uh, it, It tends to elevate Holy Scripture to the status of God. And so some people... Um, rather cheekily say that, so therefore they worship Father, Son and Holy Scripture. No, of course, we worship Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So I feel a cessationist view is a way of explaining or even justifying powerless spirituality. Uh, And some will take it so far as to say that any miracles done today are the deception of the devil and people who say they have the gift of healing are acting as agents of the devil. I actually find that pretty sad, um, that, that they would give Satan glory for the wonderful things that God is doing. So that's, that's a cessationist view. 
The second view on healing is what I'm going to call the religious or sacramental view. Uh, This view is where healing is made through the rites and the liturgies of the church. It becomes a very formal and a very religious act. So, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church have a sacrament they call the anointing of the sick, where the priest will come to the sick person and anoint them with oil and presumably say the correct liturgical words. But also in the Roman Catholic Church, some have an openness to religious icons, religious artefacts, the canonised saints, and through contact and veneration of these objects, some people seek healing. Now, most evangelicals would look upon these actions as idolatry, and so we have nothing to do with it. Although we do anoint the sick with oil. Uh, we do this because we're told to in the Bible. In James chapter 5, it says, Is any of among you sick? Well, let him call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And so we do this. We do this because the scriptures tell us to do it. Um, But it does not become a religious sacrament or a liturgical function of a minister, something that we just do just because um, that's the done thing. It's done in faith and it's done in obedience to to what's said in the scriptures. A third view on healing is a very strong view held by the word of faith movement. Uh, Has anyone ever heard of the word of faith movement? No? Okay. I suspect uh, the uh, the cessationist view uh, is very much a reaction against you're going to send it down, Ben, eh? Right, eh? Right, we've got you in now. Not getting out until you fill up the offering box. <laughs> okay, the word of faith belief is that Jesus dealt with all sickness and disease on the cross, which is true. And therefore, the healing in Jesus' name is available to everyone who has faith. They teach that provided you don't have undealt with sin in your life, if you ask for God for healing and claim that healing and speak out that you are healed and believe that you are healed, then you are healed. Okay? So they believe all Christians can be healed right now of every sickness, of every disease... We don't need to wait for our resurrection bodies. We can be healed right now, guaranteed, provided we have enough faith. And so if somebody asks for healing and they're not healed, the logical response of that is, well, you didn't have enough faith. Or it'll come in time. You just have to keep on believing that you are healed and it will come. And many, many people keep on believing that they're healed all the way to the grave. And they're not healed. So what have they been believing? A lie. Probably one of the most dangerous parts of this is some people will tell you to stop taking your medication and stop going to see the doctors and stop the treatment Because they say, while you keep up the treatment, well, that's showing a lack of faith in the healing that God's already given you. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. 
Um, Paul said to Timothy, you keep on taking that medicine for your, for your gut problem and, and you should too. The word of faith movement is very big in the Pentecostal churches and it's very popular in the United States and of course Australia seems to have become a follower of the United States and what they believe we end up believing and so it's becoming very popular in Australia too and I'd be surprised if it hasn't influenced a lot of us here and what we believe. Well-known preachers such as Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Jerry Seville, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, some of these profess to being part of the word faith movement um, and the rest of them are very much aligned. What they teach is very much aligned with what, what word of faith teach. Sadly, uh, when someone is suffering and they claim healing and they believe for a healing but that healing doesn't come, sadly some are really left feeling, I don't have enough faith or why me? It's my fault. And many people have become disillusioned in God because the promise that was just driven into them and driven into them and driven into them, the promise that they believed never eventuated. This teaching is very much bound up in the power of words, theology. You may have heard of this. Speak positive things and good things will happen. Speak negative things and negative things will happen. One of the key Bible verses that that they point to is Mark chapter 11 verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And let me say, when we pray, God does want us to have that sort of faith. But what I see is the greatest problem with the word of faith view is that it does not leave room for the sovereignty of God. You see, God is God. We don't always know what God's will is. We we don't always know what God's plan is. And, And sometimes, I know we don't want to hear it, but sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer. And in our suffering... We draw closer to God. Sometimes that's God's will to get us to draw closer to him and to get us to know him in a way which we never would have if that hadn't have happened. And in our suffering, we can bring glory to God. Read 1 Peter chapter 4 if you want to know about bringing glory to God in suffering. We should always seek to pray in accordance with God's will, but we don't always know what God's will is. You know, even Jesus Christ, when he prayed, he pleaded to be spared having to go to the cross. Father, if there's any other way, please, I don't want to do this. I'm paraphrasing here. But he said, but if that's the only way, then I'm willing. What he's in essence praying is not my will but your will be done. And something that's very important for us to understand is the Lordship of Christ and what that means. That means therefore God has the right to act without me questioning him. God has the right to act without me requiring an explanation. God doesn't have to explain himself to me. God doesn't have to explain himself to you. Because he's Lord. 
You know, the way that we live our lives brings glory to God. Whether it be in the good times or the bad, we can bring glory to God. So are you enjoying good times? Well, give glory to God. Are you going through the ringer? Are you suffering? Then bring glory to God. And wow, what a witness you are when you bring glory to God in front of the world for all the world to see, even though you're in the midst of suffering. A second problem with the word of faith view is the physical evidence. Many people are healed in the name of Jesus today and I praise God. But if it's true that everyone who has enough faith will be healed, then why are there not 300-year-old vibrant Christians jumping around today? If they've had faith to be healed once, why is the faith not there to be healed again? The evidence just doesn't stack up. And the third problem with the word of faith view is what it promotes in the life of the believer. It very often promotes what I call a Christian hedonism. A hedonism, for those who don't know what that big word means, hedonism uh, means it it promotes a self-centredness, a fixation on financial prosperity, a fixation on physical health, a fixation on good fun times in, in our earthly existence. And all of this is exactly the opposite to what Jesus told me is important. And yet that's what it promotes. Secondly, it can be quite false in its claims. It does not focus on the truth. Uh, To try and give credence to its claims, any little glimpse of a healing is claimed as a miracle of God. For example... Uh, one evening I was, I was at a prayer meeting with a bunch of men and, um, oh sorry, it was a Bible study and, and one of them shared that so-and-so was absent tonight because he, he was down with the flu. And so that evening before we finished up we prayed for this fellow that the Lord would bring healing to him and next morning I got a text sent out by one of the men who were there and, um, and he'd sent it out to all the men and it had said, so-and-so is healed, the flu's gone, praise Jesus. Uh, wow, cool, praise God. Uh, and then the next day after that I had reason to actually ring this fellow who'd, who'd been healed and he answered the phone and he sounded as crook as a dog. Oh. I said, oh, are you still crook? Uh-huh. I said, oh, I, I heard yesterday that you were healed. And he said, so-and-so rang in the morning and asked if I was better. And I said, oh, I feel a little bit better than last night. And so he sent out the text. (laughs) It's just false. And we should never be false in our claims about God. God wants us to be real. God wants us to be real witnesses, not false witnesses. There's enough good things that God has really done that we can tell people about. We don't have to go making stuff up and stretching the truth to make it sound like like God's doing good stuff. God doesn't need us to be his PR men and women. He doesn't need us to be the spin doctors that turn everything around to make him look good. God can make himself look good. Yes, it is absolutely critical to give God glory when he does a miraculous, but actually does terrible damage to the church and and to God's reputation when false miracles uh, get proclaimed. 
when false claims are made about things that God hasn't actually done. The devil must just love it when falsehood gets spread around and then especially when the falsehood gets found out and that makes God look bad. A fourth view of healing is sometimes very closely aligned with word of faith and that's the ministry of miracle crusades. And so we have the likes of Benny Hinn travel the world with their private jets doing these miracle crusades and raking in millions of dollars from the desperate as they do it. Now, I'd love to stand up here and say they're all charlatans uh, because I think there's enough evidence around that a lot of what these fellows do is false and there is. But at the same time, I can't deny that, that through these crusades, some people have turned to Christ. And I praise God because of that. Um, and, and some people have been healing, healed. Even in the lounge rooms, as it gets beamed out across the television, some people find in the message a reason to get, put their faith in Christ and believe that Christ is going to heal them and Jesus has healed them. I've had, heard real stories of this. And I praise God. I cringe at their methods. I cringe at their motivations. I cringe at the thought of what's actually in their heart. I cringe at the damage that I suspect it's doing to God's kingdom. But I also praise God that when despite all of the falseness that is undeniably there, some individuals do turn to Christ and receive healing in his name. Because they've had faith in Jesus and not in the crusader. A fifth view, I was actually unsure whether they even put this one into the list or not because it's really not a Christian view of healing. Some folk tend to mix it in with their understanding of healing and that is the New Age or spiritualist understanding. And so drawing on mostly Eastern religions, New Age practices such as yoga, tai chi, reiki, kinesthesiology, crystals, etc., etc., these New Age practices get all mixed up and they make a giant spiritual milkshake and say this is, this is a new vitalised Christian practice of prayer for healing and really it's not Christian at all. Uh, and the best advice I can give you is just stay away from any new age type stuff. It's not of Christ, it's of other religions and therefore other gods which we should have nothing to do with. So, we come to the sixth view which is about Praying in faith and seeking God's will. We ask for healing and in God's sovereignty, God can choose to answer our prayer as with any other prayer by saying, yes, you are healed or no, I have other purposes for you or not yet, wait for my timing or I'll do it a different way. Hence, and that in this case would be spiritual healing. So what do I believe? Well, I believe number six. I believe we should be praying for healing. Um, I believe if we don't ask for healing, A, that's showing a lack of faith and B, it could be denying the healing that God is wanting to give and so therefore it could be denying giving God the glory that he's intending to display. And if our pride or our theology against healing is what's preventing us from asking God for healing, well, we need to deal with that pride. And we need to place ourselves firmly in God's hands in the matter of healing. Lord, 
I desire healing. Um, In faith, I'm asking you for health. But Lord, regardless of whether you do heal me, there's something else that I'm asking for. And that's strength and faith to glorify you, whether I be sick or whether I be well. So I believe we should, in faith and in expectancy, be praying for healing and God willing, the healing will come. But we should give God glory for his greater and unknown purpose. But it's not only prayer. As in the kids' story before, we introduced that it's about the spiritual gifts. And where does this spiritual gift of healing come in? Because as with all the spiritual gifts, we don't all have the same gifts. But some disciples of Jesus do have the spiritual gift of healing. The Bible tells me that. So I must believe that. And the body of Christ is not a properly functioning body if the spiritual gift of healing is not being used. So what is the spiritual gift of healing? What does it look like? The minister we used to have when I was in in Dolby, he told me one day about, in a previous congregation, he, he felt that God was telling him that a certain person had the gift of healing. So he went to visit them, and, and, and he's a pretty straightforward sort of follower. He said, so have you got the gift of healing? And they said, I don't know. He said, well, when you pray for someone who's sick, what happens? Oh, usually they get better. <laughs> oh, he had the gift of healing and he didn't even know it. Uh, someone with the gift of healing is someone who, not all the time, but probably more often than most, when they pray for the sick, they're healed. Now, the Bible actually refers to it if you go back to the Greek, in the gifts of healings, plural, which is quite different to the way it refers to the other gifts. The the other gifts are referred to as the gift singular of whatever. Now, that should be a bit of a hint for us. There's something a little bit different about the gifts of healings. It doesn't mean that the gift of healing is one gift that is given to a person so they can conjure it up on demand and heal whoever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. The gifts of healings are not like that. Every single gift of healing is a gift from God. And God gives healings as God determines. You know, the Apostle Paul, we talked about Peter here this morning, had the gifts of healings. Well, the Apostle Paul had the gifts of healings as well, and yet he couldn't heal everybody. How do we know that? Well, he had a very good friend by the name of Timothy, and he couldn't heal his stomach ailment because he's telling him, you keep taking your medicine. Um, He went on a missionary trip one time, and one of his fellow missionaries, Trophimus, he had to leave him at Miletus. Why? Because he was too sick to travel. Here we have this apostle with these gifts of healings and he had to leave one of his compatriots behind because he's too sick to travel. Paul himself um, had what was, he referred to as the thorn in his flesh that he is never able to shake. Now we don't know whether that was a sickness or a disease or, 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 or a disability or what, maybe it was a sin in his life but it was something that he couldn't shake. And God's word to him was, well, my grace is sufficient for you. 
The Holy Spirit gives gifts of healings as the Holy Spirit pleases. They can't just be dispensed on demand because God is sovereign and we don't always know God's will. So what do we learn from all this? We've covered a lot of ground today. Um, I'm sorry for being so long. This is, when I wrote it I realised actually this is the longest message I've ever written. But I didn't want to only say half of it. I believe this is what God was wanting me to share. So what have we learned from all this? Well firstly I hope it's clear to you that there is no set in stone formula for healing. We cannot say no one is miraculously healed because that's just not true. We cannot say, if you do this particular ritual, then you'll be healed. Because that's not true either. We cannot say, if you have enough faith and claim healing in Jesus' name, you will definitely be healed. Because that's not true either. We cannot say, if you call upon this particular miracle worker, then you will be healed. There is no set in stone formula for healing. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for it. And that doesn't mean that that those with the spiritual gift of healing shouldn't be seeking God's will and should I be healing this person in the name of Jesus. Secondly, God is sovereign. He is Lord. And our right attitude is to know that our Heavenly Father knows what's best. And so we can have have So we can trust him and have faith in him and expect that God will answer our prayers, especially if we're praying in accordance with his will. Because God is a good God and his will shall be done. Thirdly, the world seeks health, wealth and a long life. And I know that we're naturally wired to seek these things too. I have an enormous fear for our country because as our population ages, we are spending more and more and more money trying to squeeze out an extra month, an extra week, an extra day of life. And our health system is crippling because of it. And as a country, we are accumulating a debt that our children will never be able to pay. And as individuals, we're spending our children's inheritance so that we could have the longest possible life and and have the most enjoyment that we can possibly squeeze into our life. And let me tell you, as Christians, these things should not be important to us. Because we're different. Life's short anyway. And we should not be fixated on this life. We should not be fixated on on the best that I can get out of this life. We should be fixated on Christ. We should be fixated on eternity. Paul said it in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. I, I just find this so challenging. If I could apply this to my life, I'd be so happy with what God's done in me. He says, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. And and he goes on, he has this great big struggle. He says, you know, I think I'm about to be executed for my faith. And I've got mixed emotions about it. If I die, 
I'm with Christ, I gain everything. Magnificent, I'm really looking forward to that. But if I live, I can keep being an encouragement to you. I can keep on helping you. I can keep on preaching Christ. I can continue labouring for the Lord. And he has this real mixed emotions and so should we. For Christians, death is the beginning of something wonderful. But we want to stay around a little bit longer. We want to stay around for our loved ones. We want to stay around so that we can share the gospel with those who haven't yet heard the gospel. And so we pray for healing, yet not our will, but God's will be done. And have faith. But when it's time to go, pray that you will know when that time has come. And let go. In faith, let go. And fall into the arms of Jesus, knowing it's better still. Fourthly, I hope you've kept hearing today, give glory to God. Give glory to God. Give glory to God. Give God glory in health. Give God glory in sickness. Give God glory in life. And may he be glorified in your death. Because one thing's for sure, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us in sickness. The Lord is with us in health. The Lord is with us in life. And the Lord is with us in death. And he is our strength. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing that is set in stone.